Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How good to be with you. Blessed first Monday of Advent, the Advent, the coming of the God of the whole world. And he has given us a whole month to prepare, four Sundays to prepare for his coming as a babe in the manger. Go figure that out. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who nobody could look on and see that God was born of a woman, a woman that he created for himself, and was born in a manger. It is the same God, beloved, who thundered on Mount Sinai. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see Exodus uh, chapter 12 and following, no, 19 and 20, Exodus 19 and 20, that God was going to appear to the people on Mount Sinai and uh, Moses spoke with him, and nobody was to come near the mountain or touch the mountain. They wouldn't even hear God. They would just hear his thunder. Um, And God told the people through Moses that to prepare just to come near the mountain, not very near it, not touch it, just to come near because God was coming near, they had to fast. They had to refrain from marital relations They needed to bathe. They needed to um, put away any practice that wasn't holy. And they needed to prepare for his coming. Now look, he did come 2,000 years ago, and we celebrate that every Christmas, that which began the Christ Mass. Christmas is the Mass of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every year we prepare for him anew by displaying mangers and Uh, stables and all of that and I pray this year it would be the same only the baby should never be in the manger until he actually comes on Christmas Eve but the fact is that he comes to us every day in the Eucharist and the people could not come near the mountain or touch the mountain they weren't touching God just touching the mountain that he would come down on in his uh, Shekinah glory his presence And we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the whole Christ, which is the, the, which is who appeared on Mount Sinai, by the way. It was Christ who appeared. It was Christ whose back parts Moses saw. And Moses said, I want to see your face. And God said, you can't, you'll perish. And God said to Moses, uh, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, but no man could look at me and live. And we knew that. And yet, God came near, and he became one of us through a woman, and not only condescended to become one of us, but became our food. It's a story that we know, uh, we tell to our children, our grandchildren, our grandchildren's children, we live that long, but we'll never understand it, nor will we ever, not anyone ever fathom that love of what he did for us. Children are born to live 
this child was born to die. And what I thought might be very good for this Advent Christmas season is that we take a break from Frank Sheed's book, Society and Saturday, and um, um, uh, I'm thinking of an email I just received recently from a gentleman who um, uh, completely uh, misunderstood something that Frank Sheet said. Uh, he did, well, the reason is because I read a little bit each day, beloved, and so you don't always get the message in context. Um, the me- message said something. Let me see. I might be able to find it here. But um, it had to do with our rights that we have any rights apart from Christ. Um, Here it is. Let me see if I can just bring up the quote. And I haven't had time to respond yet to this gentleman. I have to look up the quote um, from uh, Frank Sheed's book. But he said that I read, or I said, that one can thus establish man's rights without bringing Christ into the picture. Well, of course that's false, and he wrote me a very long email to tell me how, how incorrect I was. I was simply reading from the book. It's not false. What Frank Sheet was doing was summing up what would be the case if if we leave Christ out of the picture. In other words, the socialists today think that they can establish man's rights without bringing Christ into the picture. That's what's happening to our society today. That's what happened. That's what's happening to, I think, every single candidate who opposes our current president, that we can establish man's rights without bringing Christ into the picture. We cannot. Apart from Christ, who is our creator, we have no rights whatsoever. Whatsoever. The government can give us rights but they, they matter little. Uh, if, if the rights are against what God has given us, uh, they're not rights at all. So um, our rights, we are made in the image of God, and our rights come from our Creator, nothing and no one else. The reason I'm mentioning this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for the, the paragraph in which that sentence was said, uh, I'm glad that someone wrote me to say we can't have rights apart from Christ. That's absolutely true. The problem sometimes is when we read a little portion of a book each day, we don't get the whole context together. And sometimes when we listen, our concentration goes in and out, and we don't always grasp the context of of a message as well. So what I'd like to do... Um, is just to keep that in mind, because we're going to begin today, and we won't dare read through it, but it's the liturgical year, volume one, which starts uh, with Advent, of course. Um, the young, new, brand new priest um, who uh, gave a homily yesterday morning, he began by saying, Happy New Year, everyone. And indeed, that's what Advent is. It's our new year. It's our true new year. January 1st is fine for the secular calendar, but our new year started yesterday. That is the liturgical year, um, which begins with our preparing for the coming of the Lord. And so I thought I'd like to read to you right from the beginning of the liturgical year. It's a 15-volume set by Dom Garanger, Dom Prosper Garanger, who lived in the 1800s and brought the Benedictine order back to France and Europe. Absolutely fantastic. Huge Abbey, St. Peter's in France, in Salem, 
and uh, I was there during my time in France, uh, several visits, very magnificent. Um, and he was um, um, truly, um, I think his cause is, is beginning for canonization. Um, in my mind, he should be canonized. Um, let me read this to you, just beginningly. And then we'll take your calls and your texts and your questions, emails, as we always do, beloved. And the toll-free number, if you want to um, get on the line early, it's fine. You can wait if you wish. Um, The toll-free number or to text is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. The liturgical year, I'm going to read the general preface. You know, sometimes so many people, they skip prefaces to books and introductions. I read every word because it it just paves the way for the book. It's such wonderful preparation. And this is preparation for the entire liturgical year, which begins, uh, which began yesterday and ends um, on November 30th, uh, just prior to Advent, Christ the King. Um, so Dom uh, um, uh, Garanger says prayer is man's richest boon B-O-O-N it is his light his nourishment and his very life for it brings him into communication with God who is light nourishment and life and beloved as we begin this brand new year um and we make New Year's resolutions now, not wait till January, but now at the beginning of our spiritual New Year, we should make reservations to increase our prayer a little more, to increase our times of devotion, uh, scriptural reading, family time, um, exercise, all everything to be healthy physically and spiritually. All right, I'll go on now. But of ourselves, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We must needs, therefore, address ourselves to Jesus Christ and say to him as the apostle did, Lord, teach us how to pray. He alone can make the dumb speak and give eloquence to the mouths of children. And this prodigy he effects by sending his spirit of grace and of prayers who delights in helping our infirmity, asking for us with unspeakable groanings. Now it is in the Holy Church that this divine spirit dwells. He came down to her as an impetus, an impetus wind, and manifested himself to her under the expressive symbol of tongues of fire. Ever since that day of Pentecost... He has dwelt in his favored bride. That's us, beloved, the church. He is the principle of everything that is in her. He it is that prompts her prayers, her desires, her canticles of praise, her enthusiasm, and even her mourning. Hence, her prayer is as uninterrupted as her existence. Day and night is her voice sounding sweetly in the ear of her divine spouse, and her words are ever finding a welcome in his heart. At one time, 
under the impulse of that spirit who animated the admirable psalmist and the prophets. She takes the subject of her canticles from the books of the Old Testament. At another, showing herself to be the daughter and sister of the holy apostles, she intones the canticles written in the books of the New Covenant. And finally, remembering that she too had given to her the trumpet um, and harp, she at times gives way to the spirit who animates her, she being the church who animates her, and sings her own new canticle. From these three sources comes the divine element, which we call the liturgy. And of course, liturgy is the work of God. It's the opus dei, opus work dei of God, the opus dei, the work of God. And in our the rule of St. Benedict, which many of you are going to be going through soon as, as the first uh, members of Mary's oblates, um, you'll see that the Opus Dei for Benedictines, uh, not, not for lay people as it is for us in religious life, nothing comes before that. Not meals, not, uh, not ministry, nothing is to come before the work of God. Absolutely nothing. It's the foundation of all we do. Accepting emergencies, of course. At another, so first, sometimes the canticles from the books of the Old Testament, and another, showing herself to be the daughter and sister of the holy apostles, she intones the canticles written in the books of the New Covenant. And finally, remembering that she too had... Uh, has had given to her the trumpet and harp. She at times gives way to the spirit who animates her and sings her own new canticle. From these three sources comes the divine element, which we call the liturgy. The prayer of the church is therefore the most pleasing to the ear and heart of God and therefore the most efficacious of all prayers. I don't know if um, Abbot Garanger, uh, he's a Dame Garanger, it's French, Garanger, um, I don't know if he is going to uh, explain in this general preface what the prayers are. But the prayers from the Old Covenant, mostly the Psalms, when we pray the liturgy every day, we're mostly praying the book of Psalms. Um, and in fact, the entire book in one week of prayer, um, uh, if we pray all the offices, we'll pray all the Psalms. Hold on. Oh, excuse me. Um, I was yawning for those who aren't watching. We were listening on the radio. That was the silence of a yawn. Um, but I want to um, either introduce uh, many people to the fact or remind many people of it, that when we pray the Psalms, when we pray the Scriptures, period, we're praying the words of Christ because he wrote the scriptures. He is the author through the human authors. The human authors were his pens. But that's why we talk about, well, we talk about penning a letter because we also have a pen, but we are God's pens. He writes through men. Um, 
and through human beings. And so when Christ wrote the Psalms through David, Moses, and others, Solomon, um, they were his words to the Father. So when we pray the Psalms, we are Christ's voice back to the Father. We are Christ's voice back to the Father. So we don't pray mindlessly. We know that we have the privilege of carrying the words of the Son back to the Father and honoring the Father in so doing. That helps us to know what we're praying, and it helps us to be very reverent and careful. Which is why nothing comes before the work of God, because we are taking the word of Christ, and we have the privilege to be able to give it back to the Father. Happy, then, is he who prays with the church and unites his own petitions with those of his bride, who is so dear to her Lord that he gives her all she asks. It is for this reason that our blessed Savior taught us to say, Our Father, and not my Father. We are the church. We are the children of God, the family of God. No rugged individualism here. Give us, not for, not give me this day our daily, my daily, my daily bread. Give us, forgive us, deliver us, not give me, forgive me, deliver me. Hence we find that for upwards of a thousand years, the church who prays in her temples seven times in the day and once again during the night did not pray alone. The people kept her company and fed themselves with the light on the manna which is hidden under the words and mysteries of the divine liturgy. Then initiated into the sacred cycle of the mysteries of the Christian year, the faithful, attentive uh, to the teachings of the Spirit, came to know the secrets of the eternal life. And without any further preparation, a Christian was not unfrequently chosen by the bishops to be a priest, or even a bishop, that he might go and pour out on the people the treasures of wisdom and love, which he had drunk in at the very fountainhead. For whilst prayer said in union with the church is the light of the understanding, it is the fire of divine love. It is the fire of divine love for the heart. The Christian and the Christian soul neither needs for, let me just read that again, sorry. The Christian soul neither needs nor wishes to avoid the company of the church when she would converse with God and praise his greatness and mercy. I remember, beloved, as an even very strong evangelical Protestant in full-time ministry um, and never missed church, never memorized half the Bible, all of that. Um, but many times I wanted to go away from the church, just off on my own, to think, to talk, to talk to no one, to pray, just to be silent. You know, I haven't had that thought once since I'm Catholic, except if I'm with an irreverent mass or, or a, a, a situation in the Catholic Church that's irreverent. 
but I have not had that where I feel like Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Christian soul neither deeds nor wishes to avoid the company of the church. When she would converse with God and praise his greatness and his mercy. I don't have to go anywhere. If I go someplace, then I'm missing Christ. It is not the soul herself. Is not the soul herself a part of this church, which is the bride? Has not Jesus Christ said, Father, may they be one as we also are one? And when many are gathered in his name, does not this same Savior assure us that he is in the midst of them? The soul, therefore, may converse freely, may converse freely with her God, who tells her that he is so near, he is so near her with her, um, sorry, the soul, therefore, may converse freely with her God, who tells her, that she is so near her. He is so near her that she may sing praise as David did in the sight of the angels whose eternal prayer blends with the prayer which the church utters in time. Excuse me one moment. Thank you, beloved. Dom Garanger says, but for now, many ages, many past ages, for many past ages, Christians have grown too solicitous about earthly things to frequent the holy vigils and the mystical hours of the day. Long before the rationalism of the 16th century had become the auxiliary of the heresies of that period by curtailing the solemnity of the divine service the people had ceased to unite themselves exterior, exteriorly with the prayer of the church except on Sundays and festivals. You see, beloved, it's still the same today in many cases. Many others now are discovering the liturgy, the hours, and praying them, and even many the, the divine office the, uh, the, um, and the monastic office, which is a wonderful thing. But that is why Benedictines for 1,500 years, um, from St. Benedict who wrote the rule and has, is known as the father of Western monasticism, all religious life comes from him. Um, we are bound by vows to pray eight times a day. We begin here at the Daughters of Mary, with Matins at 5 a.m., then we pray Lords, and we pray Prime, and Tears, and uh, Sext, and Known, um, and Vespers, and Compline. And of course, we go to Holy Mass every day, and we have a Holy Hour every day. So, and we pray the Rosary. So that's a very, very busy, full day. Um, and we pray for those who don't pray. Um... Let me see where I left off here. During the rest of the year, the solemn and imposing grandeur of the liturgy was gone through, and the people took no share in it. Each new generation increased in indifference 
for that which their forefathers for that which their forefathers in the faith had loved as their best and strongest food. The world would not be the way it is today if we went back to this, beloved, all of us. Just every Catholic. If every Catholic lived their faith, the world would be utterly changed. Social prayer was made to give way to individual devotion. Chanting, which is the natural expression of the prayers and even of the sorrows of the church, became limited to the solemn sorrows of the church. Um, I'm sorry, chanting, which the natural expression of the prayers and even of the sorrows of the church became limited to the solemn feasts. That was the first sad revolution in the Christian world. But um, even then, Christendom, well, I think we're going to stop there, and it's good that we stop there, beloved, because for some reason I'm a little more tired this morning, and I cannot stop yawning, so I absolutely apologize to you. And we're going on to our first break. And again, you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot org. Um, rather, dot com. The station of the cross, mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have Isabel on the line. We'll be right back with you and Isabel right after the break. Don't go away. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer to St. John Bosco. O glorious Saint John Bosco, obtain for us from our Lord a holy love for young people in order that we may generously spend ourselves in supporting them against the snares of the devil, in keeping them safe from the dangers of the world, and in guiding them pure and holy on the path that leads to God. Amen. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Thank you. 
We offer a variety of call-in shows, devotionals, and news programs to help you grow in your faith and get the Catholic perspective on world events. Find out more about each of our shows by visiting thestationofthecross.com. You'll have access to an interactive programming grid where you can click on a program to learn more about it. All live shows are even highlighted in yellow, so they're easy to identify. Check out our interactive programming grid today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. I'm thrilled to be with you and this is our half hour all together. So whatever is on your heart, feel free to call in or text or email. The toll-free number to call and text is one 5483 and to email at mother at com. Uh, Isabel, are you on the line, dear one? I am. Thank you, Mother, for Good morning. My... Certainly. Good Thanks morning. for calling, Isabel. You're Go welcome. Go ahead there. Um, I, I just really enjoy your program so much. It's just so amazing. Oh, that, um, that, I wanted that to, um, thrills me. Thank you, Isabel. I wanted to ask you about very young children in their search for God. I'm a therapist, and sometimes I find that children very young, four, five, six years old, do have very significant questions about God. Oh, yes. And I don't know if parents are aware of this. Um, definitely um, secular parents would not really entertain a lot of these questions, and I do find this quite disturbing on the children because they do have questions and very significant ones, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, if you've had any experience with that. Um, Children often ask if there is a God, and um, other children will ask certain questions because they've been... For example, in school, somebody has you know mentioned something. For example, um, they celebrate Mother Earth here mm. in Canada. I'm calling <clears throat> from Terrible. Canada, and one of the little girls asked me, well, she was quite upset because she'd asked the teacher, "Well, who made the Earth?" And the teacher couldn't tell her. And then she went home and asked her mother. And her mother couldn't tell her, and she was very visibly upset. So I think, you know, some of these questions, especially for Catholic parents and Christian parents, they should be aware that there are often these questions circulating in their children. They might um, have been there for some time. You're very right, of course, Isabel, and of course I've come across it. And uh, often when I have the opportunity to speak to such little ones, I ask them those questions. (laughs) Um, uh, if they, I ask them to ask me what they'd like. They ask wonderful questions, and then if they're silent or shy, I ask them. Um, do you, do you, as a therapist, have the opportunity to, to answer the children with you and let them know that God created the earth? Are you able to do that professionally? Well, it's very tricky depending on the parents. But I do, I okay. do cross the line. No, <laughs> good, 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 good. Yes, and you know, I would think with such young p- children, you would you would speak to the parents as well, 
right? Um, I, I, you're, you've got a professional confidentiality, but um, if if the parents are saying how are things going, is it not appropriate for you to say, you know, your your little daughter is asking who made the world and all of that, and um, uh, I don't know that she asked those questions at home, but I thought it might be um, interesting to you to know that I found many young children uh, that where that's very much on their heart, uh, four, five, six, um, and I don't know if you could bring that up to the mother to say, you know, just if you ever want a subject or get a little book, you know, on on um, on God or creation or that kind of thing, you could, you know, just to make the parents aware. Are you able to do that? Well, um, today's um, secular world, uh, p- parents are so confused. And, you know, you, the things that you've been discussing, Mother, are so relevant because Catholic parents think they've had a Catholic education and they really haven't. Yes, I know. I, but are you able to bring that up to them, especially if they're Catholic? To say, oh, yes, you know, you have Catholic. a wonderful little girl, wonderful little boy, and their heart is filled with questions about God. It's, this is, they are so ripe that this would be the greatest time for you to tell, help teach them. Are you able to say something like that? Yeah, I am. But often, you know, the problem is that some Catholic parents have really turned against Catholicism. I know. And although they're Catholic, they're Catholic in name only. But I'm more concerned about um, parents in general that they understand this is what's going on. I don't think they're even aware. But, well, that's they, so. I would just, you know, at any opportunity. Um, because it's an individual situation, even though it's rampant, um, at any opportunity you have on a one-on-one with the parents, of course, if you give a conference, you can say that in general, which would be very great, and they'll trust you because you it's your profession uh, in general. But other than that, if you have the opportunity or when you have the opportunity to speak to parents, say, you know... Um, um, I found out that it's it's the case with so many children. Yours is, you know, your little daughter, your little son is right in kind of with the majority that their hearts are so filled with questions about God, and and um, they they often don't know where to turn. So, you know, maybe they won't bring it up at home. But I want you to be aware of that because. It, it would be a great opportunity for you to teach them. I mean, just on one-on-one. It's, I would do whatever you feel you can do. Um, you see, we can't instruct parents on how to do it because they don't have the faith. But you, through you, they may say, wow, you've got to be kidding. My child is asking questions on God. My goodness, let me go to a bookstore and, and find a book on God for children, you know. Um uh, and I, I know there are parents, uh, Isabel, who've been brought back to their faith through teaching their own children and that's brought amazing. into the faith through teaching their own children. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. And I think there's also issues around death. If there's been a death in the family or someone that yes. they know has died, mm-hmm. it's also a perfect opportunity. It opens things up as well for for the children because they'll ask what happens right after. and and parents need help most parents uh unless they're really strong catholics with good catholic home uh that's a wonderful conversation but outside of that um 
uh, what information can they give? That they in in a case like that, if a child is uh, experiencing the death of someone in the family, you are very much needed at that moment. And I, I'm guessing the parent would would uh, love any help you can give them in how to how to speak to their child and how to deal with the child, and would take your suggestions. So. I would get the expectation off parents completely because we can't do it. But if we can, not not in your situation, unless you start to teach in a separate setting, but to uh, give them away where they're afraid or they're ignorant, they don't know, it's not their practice, whatever it is, to begin to help them with their child and say, you know, the best way to help children in general is to uh, touch on what interests them the most, the things that are on their heart, which they're not going to ask very often. But, you know, in the case of this death, you might be able to help them this way and uh, with God help them this way. You might be able to be a very kind and um, helpful as if the parent were your, were your patient as well, very helpful to them to help them to lead their children. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our final segment. We have a little more than 15 minutes, plenty of time for you to call in. If there's anything on your heart this morning, the toll-free number is one 511 5483 Barbara, thank you for your sweet encouragement. Um, Barbara writes, my question is, what can we do as Catholics to counteract public displays of atheism? I live in Chicago, and every year during the Christmas season, the Freedom From Religion group sets up a big neon A is for atheists display at... uh, a certain plaza between a Hanukkah menorah and a nativity scene. Signs explaining the display say it is to celebrate the winter solstice. This area, this plaza, is also where we have our annual uh, Chris Kindle, I guess it is, Chris Kindle Market, one word, it's typed in one word, Chris Kindle Market, which attracts huge crowds, not only of locals, but many tourists and families, especially with young children. I recently heard an explanation about such displays, that even though atheist groups demand equal rights in regards to public displays such as this, their argument is about religious rights. However... The point was made that atheists have no religion, and so this argument is void. I always want to contact our Chicago officials about this to protest this display, but do not think that my opinion will be heard. Do you have any ideas, Mother, of how we Catholics and Christians can voice our disapproval of this practice? Thank you so much, Mother. Well... I do have an idea, Barbara. In fact, atheists have a religion. It's atheism. They're saying that there's no God. That's what atheism means. No God. Well, what if I didn't believe something exists? Pick a word. Um, I don't know. Put letters together and make it a word. I, I can't think of anything. But, um why would you put big signs out and say that word that others have made up doesn't exist? Why would you care? In other words, if there's no God, why would they spend their life and energy displaying big signs to tell the world there's no God? If there's no God, then there's no God. Why announce that there's no God? You see, it's it's just ironic because God has put the knowledge of himself within everyone. And so those who spend their life denying the existence of God are proving his existence. It just makes no sense. What I would do in that plaza is put up a huge sign. Don't go to the officials. Don't do all that. Put up a big sign. I mean, you've got, he's got, they've got an atheist display. Uh, there's a Christian display. There's Jewish display. Put up a big sign that says, God loves atheists. That's it. God loves atheists. They don't have to agree. It doesn't matter. It's a religious display. God loves atheists. They don't agree with your signs. You don't agree with them, their signs. And that's your signs. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world includes every creature in it. 
And so put a big sign, God loves atheists. I was once in a kind of back and forth with an atheist at a dinner table with extended family, and uh, he was trying to top each one's argument that there's no God, and he could he would laugh when he thought he won and mock and all of that. And I finally looked at him and said, the God who doesn't exist loves you very much. Completely silenced him. His face turned a little red. It was the end of the discussion at the table. The God who does not exist loves you very much. Because that's the issue. Now, he doesn't believe it, but he loved that message that anyone would love him, that he would be loved. And he is loved. He's a married man. He has children. But that message really got through to him. The God who he claims doesn't exist is the God who loves him and gave his life for him. So what I do, Barbara, is think of ways not to fight non-believers, but realize that there by the grace of God go we. Faith is a complete gift and try to show them the love of God um, in your, your combat to them. And not try to take their signs down, just try to show them the love of God. We have an email from William who says, Good morning, Mother. I look forward to and cherish the sound of your calming voice each day. You are so sweet, William. Even when I fall asleep, I guess it's even more calming then. <laughs> of your calming voice each day amid the upheaval happening all around us. My question is this. What are your thoughts on the pre-tribulation rapture of the church? God bless you. Hold on a moment. I got my hiccups back. Um, There is no pre-tribulation rapture of the church, William. That is Protestant um, fundamentalist eschatology uh, that Christ will come before the second coming and rapture those who believe in him and everyone else will be left on earth you might have heard of the film or the books left behind that has to do with that rapture there's no such thing because then Christ wouldn't have two comings he'd have three he'd come the first time in the manger then he'd come to a second time to rapture those who believe and then he'd come a third time to set up his kingdom and and to judge uh, it's not true um, there are various views of um, uh, various eschatological views views of the end time and uh, millennial and amillennial and premillennial and Oh, I'm forgetting now because I studied them all. I went through Protestant seminary. I'm trying to think of a book that would be really wonderful on this, um, written by a convert, a Protestant convert to the Catholic Church. And um, I think the title is Will Catholics Be Left Behind? I think that's the title. So that might be one book for you to get, Will Catholics Be Left Behind? Um, It's a Catholic book. And then, uh, but the other book, that I don't have with me at the moment is an excellent book. It's the end of the world. Um, let me just, and it gives you, uh, it gives you the whole sequence of things. It was, um, I'm bringing it up. It was one in our last newsletter, in fact. So I'm looking up our newsletters online, um, to find it. Um, here it is. I've got it. Okay but I can't get it large enough. 
It was on the cover of our last newsletter, and it's called The End of the World. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not. It's The End of the Present World is what it is. And it has a little picture of St. Therese of the Little Flower in the bottom saying that it was changed her life, and it was one of the most important books she's ever read. So I'd recommend those two things. Will Catholics Be Left Behind and The End of the World? Um, it, it truly is. Uh, I, I've gotten halfway through it. I, I think it's. I think it's wonderful. Okay, um, it's not true. There will not be a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture will follow the tribulation, and you you will um, um, you'll see the whole Catholic plan uh, if you look at those two books. Um, Uh, We have an email from Sarah who writes, Good morning, Mother. By way of background to my question, I am Catholic and my husband is not. We have one child, a baby boy, who I take with me to Mass on Sunday mornings. Um, There is an FSSP parish. um, That is the Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter. That's a Latin uh, traditional Mass parish um, in my city, and I attend the Latin Mass there. I'm planning ahead for Christmas and with other family obligations in the day starting early morning. Their best mass time is at midnight. For me, midnight is not a problem. However, getting our baby out of his cot and to mass at midnight would be highly disruptive to his routine. He's always sleeping at that time. Is it a mortal sin on my part if I do not take our baby to Mass with me at Christmas? It is not a mortal sin, sweetheart. Not at all. If you can have someone watch the baby and go to Mass, there's no problem with that. Absolutely no problem with that. Okay? Um, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. There's, you know, you can sit outside. They have a cry room or a we're someplace outside where you could watch the baby, um, but you can. Um, um, no, I, I would say go to go ahead and go to midnight mass. Um, the other thing you can do is um, I don't know if your husband's coming to the Latin mass with you or to mass at all with you. You say he's not Catholic. Um, you, maybe you could go to midnight mass and then go to Mass on Sunday with the baby and your husband as well. So I would just try to work it out as best you can, but I do not believe it is mortal sin. Okay. Um, You might also speak to the pastor of that um, parish, because in in my own parish, uh, the Latin Mass, they do have a room for mothers and children, and um, there might be someone you could bring with you uh, you know, just to um, watch the baby during that time. So I would talk to the priest of the parish and see if he also has an ex- a suggestion. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, do you know of a traditional Catholic resource for living a liturgical daily yearly life? Okay, I have two magnificent resources for you. Um, one is the one... I'm reading from now that I just began this morning. Let me see if I could put it up here for you. It's 15 volumes. It's the liturgical year, 15 volumes by uh, Dom 
uh, Prosper Garanger, the Right Reverend Dom Prosper Garanger, um, and he's in Salem, uh, France. And of course, he's not alive anymore. He lived during the 1800s, and he follows the entire liturgical year, but it's going to be according to the the uh, traditional rite. The other book that is fantastic, oh, I have a copy where I can't reach it right now, is um, called The Church Year. Now, Dom Garanger is the liturgical year, 15 volumes, and uh, really, really follows the rule of St. Benedict um, and is wonderful. We go through that here. Pardon me. Um, but another good one would be um, Dr. Pius Parch, P-A-R-S-C-H, Dr. Pius Parch. It's called The Church Year, and it's five volumes, of course, beginning with Advent. Every church year uh, begins with Advent. So um, it's five volumes. He's very, very good. It's simpler than the liturgical year by um, Dom Garanger. So you might, it's out of print, and and I got all five volumes in very good shape. Just go to an out-of-print book source online. You'll get it. Um, let me go further with your email here. There's a book called The Catholic, quote, The Catholic All-Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life, end quote, by Kendra Tierney. This book seems like a good resource, but I'm hesitant to purchase the book because although the author has some good information on her website, she also has for sale on her website a guardian angel prayer in a Harry Potter theme. Well, I tell you right away, I wouldn't buy that compendium if she's also selling that on her website. I wouldn't. That's enough for me to say I, I don't know what, what little trust of what she puts out or not. That's enough for me to say, no, there's got to be more traditional sources. And this woman writes, also, there are also some other things on her blogs that I do not agree with. Stay away from that blog. This author has a great influence on many Catholic mothers and agrees me that mothers should be led even led astray, even in such small matters. Well, I'm glad it grieves you. And she says, P.S., um, there is a great DVD that shows and explains the traditional Latin Mass called the Traditional Mass for Children, narrated by Matthew Arnold. It's outstanding, yes. It's wonderful, and I would recommend this video even for adults. I would also recommend that video for the entire family. Anything by Ma- Matthew Arnold is most trustworthy. But stay away from the blog that you just mentioned. Don't get that compendium. And go look up online, Dr. Pius Parsh, The Liturgical Year. Okay, God bless you. There's our closing music, beloved. And we will be with you tomorrow. God bless you.